Hey, Leading Learning listener, if you represent a membership organization looking for ways to expand your online course catalog rapidly with high quality content, we have good news. At leadinglearning.com AMA, you can find out how to make online training from the American Management Association available to your learners. Through a partnership between AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, you can give your learners access to more than 70 e-learning modules covering essential business topics ranging from leading and innovating, to managing projects effectively, to working in hybrid teams. For details on how to grow your catalog with courses from a true global leader in management training, visit leadinglearning.com AMA. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 228 of the Leading Learning Podcast, in which we revisit a topic that plays an important role in our work virtual conferences. And it plays a big role in our work because we've done a lot of research and writing about virtual conferences. We published the virtual events report, but also because we are practitioners of virtual conferences. And in fact, we're just wrapping up our own conference, the Learning Technology Design Annual Virtual Conference that we hold. So the topic is really top of mind for us right now. Now, often after we complete an event, we'll do an after action review But this time around, we're not going to do that. Instead, we want to talk more generally about virtual conferences because we feel like we're really past time for more learning businesses to make them a serious part of their portfolio of offerings. So if you want to check out those past action, after action reviews, uh, we'll link to those in the show notes and you can definitely access those. But uh, yeah, again, this time we're going to talk more generally about virtual conferences. And as we usually do, we'll pose a couple of reflection questions here at the beginning. And the first is, whether as a plan A or a plan B, how might a virtual event fit into your portfolio And then secondly, if you're already offering virtual events, should they become a bigger part of your portfolio? Now, we'll note that we refer to virtual conferences, uh, and when we say that, what we mean are not just one-off webinars. We use the term really to be much broader, and in fact, I'll share the definition that we use in the virtual events report. A virtual event is a web-based event that replicates many aspects of a traditional place-based conference, membership meeting, or trade show. It may take place on a standalone basis or in conjunction with a place-based conference, and those are called hybrid events. Virtual events feature multiple sessions, not just a single webinar or webcast, and may include keynote presentations, training and education workshops, discussion areas, social networking opportunities, exhibit areas for vendors, and various other features. And activities in a virtual event may take place in real time, so synchronously, on demand, so asynchronously, or some combination of the two. I'll also note that we tend to use the term virtual event and virtual conference pretty interchangeably. We also know that other people sometimes uh, prefer to call these online conferences or online events. And so a key question for the purposes of this episode is, why consider doing one of these now? And we've offered a number of reasons before for offering a virtual conference. And in fact, in episode 
135. We went through a few of them. This time around, we want to offer some additional reasons that seem particularly timely right now. So I think at the top of that list is that a virtual conference can help you prepare for what could become a necessity. So think about things like viruses. Uh, Coronavirus, as we're recording, is uh, making all the headlines. Um, Their weather issues um, could be everything from snow to uh, to tornadoes um, to flooding. And so all of those things are just part of the world in which we live. And by going virtual, it means that those types of occurrences, uh, illnesses, um, travel, um, changes in travel availability, weather issues, all of those have a much, much less of a chance of impacting your event. And in fact, um, Ray Schroeder um, opened our learning technology design uh, virtual conference this year. And one of the things that he talked about at the outset was just the impact of the coronavirus on learning and how organizations that are providing uh, education and professional development and, and learning opportunities need to be prepared, have to be thinking about that. And as you mentioned, I mean, weather can be an issue as well. We've definitely worked with clients where, you know, they've had to actually cancel their entire annual event uh, because of flooding happening. Flooding is is becoming much more of of an issue these days and and other types of weather events. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's obviously not going to be ideal to to have to totally replace your place-based conference with a virtual conference, but to potentially have that as a backup um, and or to be adding virtual conferences into your portfolio so you're not as dependent on that one annual event, uh, you know, that can be a, a, a significant strategic move to, to make these days, so something to think about more and more. Now, you know, another reason is that if you've never offered a, co- a conference-type event before, you know, it tends to be much more viable and, and a less risky approach to stand up a virtual conference. And that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't take a lot of work. We can vouch for the fact that it doesn't take, it does in fact take a lot of work to, to stand up a, a good virtual conference. But, you know, you don't have to uh, deal with food and beverage. You don't have to deal with the, the risk of having committed to hotel room blocks. You don't have to uh, convince people to commit to, to travel to wherever you're going to be holding the event. Um, so there's just a lot about standing up a, a virtual conference if you've never done a conference before, or if you want to add another event to your portfolio that can be, you know, quite a bit uh, easier and, and, and less risky on, on, on a certain level than, than doing another face-to-face event. What I think tied to that uh, point you made about you know convincing people to travel, one of the other um, benefits of a virtual event is that it can open you up to uh, an international audience in a very meaningful way. Folks who might not be able to or willing to fly halfway around the globe suddenly might uh, be interested in attending something that they can attend online without actually leaving uh, their their home or their office. And I think. In the world we live in today, too, I mean, many people listening may not be thinking of their learning business or their organization as an international organization, but that potential is there for every learning business now. I mean, particularly once you get online and are putting your content out there, I mean, if you're serving a field or industry that has interest around the world, which, I mean, so many do, um, 
by making that conference virtual, by, by making an event uh, accessible via the web, via the internet, you are opening yourself up to tap into that potential of being an international organization. So it can really open up new strategic possibilities for you. And, and the leaders of, of most learning businesses, of most organizations need to be thinking about that these days. I also think that going with a virtual uh, approach gives you more possibilities when it comes to who can lead sessions. We were just talking about that international audience in terms of who can participate in sessions, um, and actually even beyond the international audience, just the fact that there are going to be people even uh, you know not that far from wherever your home base is who just may not be in a position to travel, even if it's not from another country. But in terms of who can lead sessions, it also has an impact there. And I think all across the board from kind of the type of keynoter you might be able to, to bring in because suddenly that keynoter doesn't actually have to travel for a day, be there for a day, and then travel you know, a, another day, which um, obviously means they have sort of limited slots like that on their calendar every year. But it also... Um, you know, all across the, the spectrum, the, those practitioners. So again, the, the folks who might be very willing to lead a session, but perhaps don't have the budget or the schedule flexibility to, again, to travel to present um, at a place-based conference, suddenly they might be able to do that if that is them uh, joining remotely from their office. And I think that's been, both of those have been so important for us. I mean, we we focus a great deal on practitioners at learning technology design. We really want to get people who are on the front lines of what they're doing to be able to, to lead sessions for the event. And, and like you said, Salisa, I mean, in many cases, they may not be able to, to break away to do that because they are, they are frontline practitioners. You know, this is what they have to be doing day to day. So this gives them an opportunity to do that. But then on the, you know, the more sort of keynote front, you know, in, anybody who's written a book these days, who's in a sort of a, a major visible position um, and is going to be in demand for those, you know, 10, 15, 20, $25,000 keynotes, you might be able to get those people at a virtual event for considerably less because we all appreciate the fact of, of not having to travel these days when that's a possibility. And, you know, if you're somebody who has something valuable to say, who has a platform, who has a book, you know, whatever the case might be, and um, you're going to have the ability to, to reach an audience uh, without having to leave the comfort of your home, potentially, that can be very attractive. And you may end up being able to get somebody to keynote for a virtual event uh, or do a major session for a, a, a virtual event that you, you might not be able to afford or realistically be able to get for a face-to-face -face event. So definitely keeping that in mind and, and those possibilities for who's going to be able to, to be there to lead and to, uh, to, to keynote at your virtual event. Another thing that we've found uh, about virtual events is that they, they have so much potential alongside communities, and particularly online communities. And, and we expect to see this really solidify as a, as a trend going forward because you know launching a virtual event can really be the catalyst for starting or igniting uh, a virtual community, and then vice versa. If you've got a good online community going, that can be a fantastic basis for then bringing everybody together in a very concentrated way around a virtual event. Um, so we're starting to see more and more that these things go hand in hand. We've done some of this with learning technology design, particularly a couple of years ago, we did an extended uh, virtual event where we really focused on community as part of that event. 
But now we're starting to, to look at, you know, how do we extend the community indefinitely beyond uh, the, the virtual conference? And uh, I think there's just so much potential there that has not been tapped into yet to, to get that focused community to extend out over time and then to bring it back together periodically over time as part of that focused uh, uh, virtual event. And I think that that online community can be part of how we make real this idea that learning is not an event, but uh, a progress, uh, uh, a process. A process, yeah. And so that we have those ways to um, continue to engage around um, ideas and, um, and topics, and the community is there to support that. I think another uh, reason to seriously think about virtual events, if you haven't already, is just because of the environmental impact of place-based uh, events. And this is something that we raised in our annual trends webinar that we held in December 2019. But, but basically, you know, a big place-based conference um, that involves people coming together, flying to get there, that creates a huge uh, carbon footprint for that event. And there's really no way around it because just the, the flying alone, those carbon emissions, they're sort of baked into that event. And so, you know, even if you're using, uh, you know, biodegradable, uh, you know, plastic wear or, you know, non-plastic wear at the event, um, you know, you can't kind of erase those, those plane emissions. Yeah. And we're starting to hear a, a lot more about this from the events industry, you know, so a real effort to try to become more eco-friendly and, and green, try to have those more sustainable events. But I mean, as you're saying, you know, once you've got flying involved, once you've got uh, hotels and food and beverage and all of that stuff involved, you're already heading towards something that uh, is only so sustainable when it comes right down to it. And, you know, the the, the United Nations recently um, released their latest emissions gap report, which you know, that, that paints a pretty dire picture if we don't change our behavior. And of course, one of those behaviors we could change is eliminating or reducing our use of air travel. And I don't have stats on it uh, here to offer, but we know just the size of the events industry that so many people are flying to so many places to, to, to meet, to, to have these, you know, sort of concentrated face-to-face -face events annually. And you know, we don't expect those to, to go away. That's, that's human nature. People want to get together in person. They want to, to be there face-to-face -face and see each other. But it just seems inevitable that's, that's going to be reduced some, um, if not significantly. And we need good, viable alternatives to that. And effective virtual conferences and other types of virtual events are, you know, one of the most obvious uh, alternatives to, to doing that. So just as a quick recap, the points that we raised around the potential benefits of going virtual with a conference is that it can help you prepare for what could become a necessity. So this is where we were talking about uh, viruses and weather-related issues. Um, and, and so this can be uh, either a plan A or a plan B to help uh, deal with that. And obviously those things are not going away. I mean, we're, you know, we know we live in a world where um, the types of viruses like the coronaviruses, virus unfortunately are probably gonna continue to occur and emerge. And we know that the weather issues are going to continue to occur and, and emerge. Um, Jeff, as you shared, you know, if you are thinking about starting a conference, 
taking a virtual approach uh, can actually be much easier and less risky. Um, So if you've never offered a conference before, or if you're thinking about adding a new conference offering to your portfolio, by going virtual, you can eliminate um, some of the risks of, you know, uh, hotel contracts um, and room blocks and food and beverage and all of that. It also can open you up to um, uh, an international audience and really just an audience in general who might not be able to travel to wherever your event is, is held, whether or not it's an international audience or not. And that's a good point because we emphasized international, but we know that for most organizations that are holding any sort of face-to-face conference right now, you know, they're, they're probably reaching somewhere maybe 15 to 25% of their audience if, if they're lucky. Some are reaching more, but most are reaching less even than that. Uh, it also opens up possibilities for who can lead sessions. And again, that kind of runs the gamut from um, the the keynote level speaker down to the practitioner just by the fact that they don't have to uh, make the same level of investment in time away from work and the rest of their life um, suddenly presenting may become something much more appealing or just manageable for them. And then, Jeff, you were pointing out around the benefits of, of coupling a virtual event with online community and really getting that sort of virtual, virtuous uh, circle going where you have the, the, the excitement and content um, and ideas from the virtual event feeding into discussions in the online community there where people get to continue that conversation. So it does take it beyond the event, beyond you know how many ever days of sessions you might have and really does get it closer to learning being that process, not an event. Virtual and virtuous. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the final point was just around the, the environmental impact of place-based conferences and so how virtual can be um, lighter on the environment. And so those are our thoughts at this point on uh, virtual events, virtual conferences. They've been a big part of our business. Um, We've been deeply immersed in them for for years, as we noted at the beginning, both because we do research and and you can get our virtual events report. We'll make sure there's a link to that. That is is free um, uh, via Tagoras and we'll uh, uh, send you in the right direction for that if you will visit the show notes for the episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 228. And then, of course, we have been practitioners of virtual events with Learning Technology Design, which we just wrapped up for 2020, but um, we do certainly hope to continue uh, as an event. And if you want to find out more about that and be able to sign up to be notified for the future, you can go to ltd.leadinglearning.com for more information. And of course, the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 228 will include the reflection questions that we posed at the beginning. And those are whether as a plan A or plan B, how might a virtual event fit into your portfolio? And then secondly, if you're already offering virtual events, uh, virtual conferences, should they become a bigger part of your portfolio? When you check out the show notes, you'll see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, Jeff and I would be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us get some data on the impact of what we're doing. And we'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Just go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That'll put you in the right place. Salise and I personally appreciate your rating and review. And those reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. 
Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on each of those channels. However you do it, please follow us and help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.